welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome. I am so delighted to have you here. And by being here, you are both doing something and saying something. What you're doing is you're sharing inspiration. And what you're giving yourself is a pause in your day, a pause in your routine, and a chance to reflect and be inspired. And these times are so incredibly important. I know as I've been doing community gatherings over the last few years, we used to do one a month at EFT Universe, and that was good to work with people's anxieties, fears, concerns. But when the pandemic struck in 2020, we actually realized that once a month wasn't enough for our community, we shifted to one a week. And now we have several events each week where we just help bring people into the space. And there's so much negative news out there. There's so much negative information available to consume. There always is. And believe me, when this batch of negative news is finished and the news cycles passed, you will be served by another batch of things to worry about by Google News or Apple News or wherever you, you tune in for your news. And so there's always stuff there that's going to distract you from well-being. But by listening to this show, you are declaring that you are worth loving. You are worth uh, creating a positive space for, positive frame for your life. And you are you are proclaiming the importance of, of bathing your awareness, your consciousness in positivity. And that, as we know from many of our past guests, produces change epigenetically, hormonally, in your nervous system, throughout your body, by exposing yourself deliberately to positive messages, positive media like this, you are doing your body and your longevity a huge favor. So I'm so glad you are doing that. I'm so glad you're giving yourself a gift and you're making it a priority to spend time in the space of creativity, the space of well-being, and the space of practicing the tools that you learn as part of what our wonderful guests share. You're going to really get a kick out of the guest I have for you today. His name is Gary Malkin. He is an Emmy award-winning composer, and his work defines the role of music as a transformational resource to integrate emotional and spiritual intelligence into the fabric of our lives. Gary has worked with many of the world's leading thought leaders like Deepak Chopra, Bob Proctor, Anadea Judith, Desmond Tutu, Elizabeth Kula-Ross, and Lisa Nichols. Gary's passion is to create aesthetic ways to face life's transitions with gratitude and grace. His book on the music entitled Graceful Passages has supported nearly a million people in accepting and coping with life's losses. Among the shows which Gary has produced the music are Netflix's new production of Unsolved Mysteries and the documentary Thrive, which has reached nearly 100 million people. Gary, it is such a delight to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Dawson. What a thrill to be with you like this. Thank you so much. Yeah, and we are going to talk about all kinds of things. I want to know more about your creative process, how creativity works for you. And I'll just begin, Gary, by sharing a little story about one time I saw you. We were at a party, and there were perhaps 
50 or 60 people there, very, very crowded room in a big house. And my wife and I were there and you sat down at the piano and began to play. And we stopped in our tracks and we were just absolutely dumbfounded by the space your music brought us into. Suddenly, the whole room faded away. We were totally, for the present moment, we were enchanted. Gary, you enchanted us in that moment. We stood there unable to move in this blissful, delighted state. Wow, what a gift you had there. <laughs> Are you talking about when I was supporting everybody speaking from a deep place? Like, was that the Gene Houston party? No, this was a Marcy Shymoff party, and you were just, no excuse, Gary. You you just sat down and began to play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, nice. I love, that's one of my favorite things to do is to shift the vibrational field in the room so that we are have a greater propensity towards feeling empathic and compassionate and interconnected. And the way that music can just infuse the field with an energy that aligns to our, you know, what Dr. Keltner says is that we're born to be good, our greater goodness inside just sort of loves to align to that energy in a, in a beautiful communal space. So thank yeah. you. I love doing that. So uh, go back to when you had no hair. <laughs> what do you mean? I have no hair. <laughs> the other time you had no hair. <laughs> Before you grew any hair as a child, when did this, when, from whence did this gift arise? You know, I always answer this question differently. But the, what comes to mind right now, because I've been doing so much work on, on implicit memory from the womb and after the first five years, I think that the roots of my talent came from a profound pain of not having any presence of, or consciousness in my mother's being in the womb and no one there at all to bond to in the early years of the first, other than my sister who was three years old and I was like a little girl's wet dream. So she was holding me for the whole time and I bonded to my sister. But the lack of presence, I, and I've never answered this question this way, the lack of presence created the, a fertile field so that one day when I was at a friend's house at five years old, I saw this black shiny thing in the living room. I didn't know what it was. It had these, all these white and black things on it. And I touched a note and something in me felt like Dorothy. <laughs> At coming out of the tornado strewn house in the Wizard of Oz and opened the door and Technicolor, you know, I was like, bing. And it was like, instantly, there was something responding with an invitation into presence vibrationally into a field of unlimited possibility. And like that Elton John scene, I just started to play a melody that I heard in the air and it felt lonely. So I started playing harmony and found harmony. And my mother walks in the door and the friend's mother says, he's studying piano. And she went, I, I, <laughs> better get that kid a piano. I, and I, you know, where does that come from? I knew where to go the moment I touched the piano. I mean, granted, it was primitive, but it was melody and harmony and it made sense and it sounded like things that people had recognized. And I, within a couple of years, wanted to be Leonard Bernstein. At the age of seven or eight, I was composing and, and improvising and you know, I was just, I was on fire. In fact, my mother used to pay my the friends from elementary school 50 cents or a dollar to get me out of the house to play because I was so obsessed with them playing the piano. <laughs> so you would do your draw to it and you were drawn to it not just as music but you were drawn to it as experience at an early age as well presence presence to me, the fruit of the best that it means to be human is this thing that is a amalgam 
that results from the fruit of our existence, from coherence, from alignment, from dropping into our hearts, from opening to the soul of, of, of life in that moment. And, and that sense of presence is something that I had none of in, the, in a dysfunctional Jewish family. You know? So it was very loving, but very chaotic. There were no boundaries. And, and so the one thing that was almost like an intervention was I'd start playing the piano and there was an instant, like joke, you know, when I've been given an MRI for different things that I've had over my life, most people say, do you want a Valium? And do you want like, I went, no, let me in there and don't take me away. Nobody will, in the intrusion of an overbearing Jewish mother, you know, and all my interruptions of my childhood, it was like heaven being in the MRI other than the noise. But no, so I just feel like presence, the piano and music created a way for me to be raised or reared into a into an emotionally resonant field that allowed me to safely wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm. Because everything had a soundtrack in my life since five years old. It was my soundtrack. And yet that sort of sensitivity and being that present, because you are very present whenever people talk to you, whenever you share with people, both personally and through your music, you are very, very present. That's also a painful place to be in my experience because you are totally vulnerable. You're totally exposed. Closed. You don't have any of the the barriers. There's none of the uh, the, the, the rhinoceros hide yeah, that right, is, yeah. is between most people. A lot of healers, a lot of people who are in the energy field, whether it's energy medicine or or the arts, they that that sensitivity actually is a is a two edged sword. Oh my God! It's been a source of enormous sorrow and pain for me, no question. I was always called by my father too sensitive, you know, high strung, you know, emotionally. It's really, really, it was hard. But you know, in my now old age, older age, I. I would say that I'm having revelations, that, that there's no accident they call music the universal language of human emotion. But I actually think, and I'm sure there must be science about that, but I haven't found it, is that just allowing music through deep focused listening awaken and expand your capacity to feel a full range of the human emotional genome, you know, the full range of the, the dark and the light actually helps our, us reclaim the fullness of our humanity. And so we have the bigger the light, the bigger the shadow, the bigger the empathy and compassion, the bigger that you can feel for the sorrow for others. I, I actually think it's a beautiful healing plus to allow music to expand our capacity to feel, you know, because what's happening today is that we numb ourselves now after the 270th uh, uh, mass, mass shooting Notice how everybody's just incrementally just being boiled to death, like that analogy of the frog being boiled in incrementally in hot water. And that's terrifying. So I, I mean, my word, my definition of a true nightmare is not allowing myself to feel the sorrow of what's happening in the world today. Mm. As much as it's painful, it's my responsibility to be present in this moment because it's the catalyst for me being the change I want to see in the world. Absolutely. And I was really interested when I read the studies of Tibetan monks and what happens is when they hear somebody crying in pain. And this is a laboratory experiment that's been replicated it's it's well understood and there are these these audios that the experimenters will, will play from another room it sounds like somebody's crying or has been injured in another room and then they they see what's happening either using an eg or an mri in the brains of people and so we have this compassionate response our mirror neurons in the part of the brain called the insula light up in response to that sound and what they find in these monks is that that response is quicker than in ordinary people they are more compassionate they are more engaged they are more distressed 
stressed, even though they have inner peace and they've spent $10,000 meditating, they get upset quicker. But that the brain function then very rapidly shifts to the executive centers. And they're now focused on what they can do to heal that pain. So it's wonderful to be able to feel and then to move quickly to what, how can I help? What can I do to help relieve the suffering? And one of the reasons I'm obsessed with what I call the slow music movement, you know, you've heard of the slow food movement, right? <laughs> I never, I don't often say it that way, but I just came up with it right now is that when you, I, what I'm learning is that when you create music, instead of the subliminal message of the music is on one level or another, every piece of music that's been written by a composer, the subtext on an energetic level is listen to me. The music's talking and it's saying, listen to me. Listen. There's always an egoic element, otherwise it wouldn't exist, right? But if you could minimize the listen to me component so it's spacious enough to actually awaken and evoke the words, listen to you. So I believe there's an innate power to spacious music that slows us down that actually cultivates that kind of resilience and capacity for wanting to be, what can I do to help? That thing you just said about the monks. I think there's a way to design musical experiences. I've been experimenting with this that actually helps without having to meditate for 40 years, your ability to, to cultivate true meaningful compassion that helps you become more of an integrated person more the best version of who you are. And I've been exploring that a lot with the music I've been creating lately. So I was listening to some of the tracks from Graceful Passages earlier today and uh, explain that project. And that really is taking this being willing to feel to the ultimate degree. Right. So yeah, share that project with us. Well, so Michael Stillwater, one of the true pioneers of uh, non of multi-denominational chant, and uh, he's just an unbelievably gifted pioneer of music for healing. He, in the late 90s, said, if I was going to die, the person I'd want to spend my end at, at final days with would be your music. I would be wanting to hear your music. And he invited me to enter into a, a proposal for a George Soros funding project for an artist response to the end of life. And so we spent, I, had, I was very busy as then at that time, scoring TV and commercials. And you know, I had the, one of the largest music production companies in the Bay Area for about 20 years. So I was doing TV, film, commercials, etc. And I said, okay, I got a couple of days, let's explore. And he went into the studio and he started to, I said, Michael, you have such a beautiful power of spontaneous prayer. Why don't you imagine somebody who'd just been given a terminal diagnosis and talk to them directly, intimately, tenderly, right? So he dropped in and he just spoke to them, invoking the spirit into the moment. And I got on my orchestral patch on my keyboard and I scored it spontaneously, you know, like a film, like a film. And when it was done, Dawson, I'll never forget as long as I live, there were goosebumps on top of goosebumps. And I went, we both knew something amazing had happened. And I went, has anybody ever applied the art of film scoring? to the assimilation and delivery of wisdom. And well, of course, there's never been any monetizing value. Nobody's ever been stupid enough to try to do that because there's no way to make money from it, right? But it was such an, a revelation. Then he knew he was a, a weaver of music for different conferences for all kinds of thought leaders. So he had access to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Thich Nhat Hanh and Ram Dass. And, and so we we started interviewing these people with, but a very different kind of interview, Dawson. And I, by the way, I want to do this with you, where you go in the studio and you actually create the conditions in which your higher self comes through extemporaneously with imagining someone whose life would depend on what you're about to say, as if you speak to your tender beloved somehow. And we got amazing people to speak amazing intimacy. And then we took out all the extraneous words and we, I scored it to an 80 piece orchestra at Lucasfilm. 
and that released it in 2001. And it basically what we discovered was in this wisdom deficit time, where more and more people are overly defining by the Cartesian myth of I think, therefore I am, and that the frontal lobe controls almost all engagement of human behavior, it suddenly enabled us to listen with our hearts and bodies and souls, and it reawakened a full engagement with our heart and soul intelligence, so you weren't just listening with your linear mind. And that's the great revelation of Graceful Passages that was co-created with Michael and his wife, Doris Stillwater, and me. And we spent 2,000 hours and three years and $200,000 of my money, of our money, my money, inventing something we thought if it could just help one person be alleviated from the sorrow of loss. And I was going through a horrible loss. I had a horrible accident in 1998. And then the same period when I was healing from not knowing if I'd ever play the piano again from a bike accident, my wife chooses to leave the marriage, a 10-year marriage with a six-year-old daughter. And I was in I was a zombie of loss. I was I, I was in a death process in everything but my biological death. So I used this creation of graceful passages as medicine for my way to navigate and assimilate and convert my loss into gratitude for life mm. itself. And that's why when you hear this music, it were all first takes. I was so raw. Talk about that, you know, that raw wearing, you know, being that sensitive. I was in so much pain that it gave me so much to be able to write, have, be a portal through which the music could come through me to the words of Ram Dass and Thich Nhat Hanh and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross as they were speaking around loss. And it really helped me accelerate my healing process around the losses I was going through. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I listen to the music and I know that, that was, I wasn't the one that composed it. It just came right through me. Yes. And you were in the perfect place personally, professionally to channel that then. And I'm just going to ask those of you who are sharing, watching, listening to us now, just to Take a breath now, this moment, and reflect on this. What is the music you would like to hear when you're taking your last breaths? You might not have thought about that, and people often get very uncomfortable when they're asked a question like that. But get uncomfortable right now. Feel the breath you're taking right now. Maybe it's not your last breath. But feel your breath. Feel into Gary's question. Really be present in this moment right now with Gary's question. What music would you like to be hearing when you're taking your last breaths? And then expand the inquiry further to ask yourself, who would you like to have there? What colors would you like around you? Which people will be nurturing you? What would you like their words to be then? Swami Sachinananda said, that most people go completely unprepared into death, just the way they have gone completely unprepared into life. And you don't want to be that person who just pushes your death away. Use your death in life as a way of nurturing your presence right now. And if you've created that conscious death scenario for yourself, I encourage people to actually write up what they would like to see happen in the last part of their lives. Create a death plan like you create a vacation plan or a wedding plan. If it's worth planning a vacation. <laughs> it's worth planning your exit. So, <laughs> Dawson, may I add to what you're inviting people to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, by the way, I have that piece, that little two-minute piece that it will help be a perfect addition to what we're talking about right now. It's not from Graceful, but it's, 
an opportunity to let the experience of music drop you into a deeper place. But what I want to say is, you know, the realization that I had from Graceful, especially, and something that Ramdas said, that it was more for everyone around the person who was dying, because we know how to die the way we know how to be born. But what gets in the way is our desire not to encumber or disappoint or cause pain for the people we love. And so the most important thing to add to that death plan you just talked about, Dawson, was how do you want to show up for the people you love the most who are at their death? Because often the greatest harm that's done is to not manage your ecosystem emotionally and spiritually in terms of how you show up for accepting the cycle of life as it and as a loved one gets very close to possibly leaving. And I mean possibly, meaning even if the fear of losing them with a life-threatening illness, it, it fear kind of twists the DNA and actually undermines the immune system. So to the true power of imagining how do you want to show up for a loved one who's going through a hard time is to surrender into, you know, not what not my will, but thy will. And what happens is if there's meant to be a healing, if there's meant to be a miracle, it will come more easily with surrender and gratitude and gratefulness for being like that line that I say is don't just be grateful for a glass half full, be grateful for the glass, you know? <laughs> Oh, I love it. And yeah, how, how will you show up for the people around you? And how, wh what is your vision for that? So those are good questions to ask. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a brief break with more from Gary. And his website is wisdomoftheworld.com. Go to wisdomoftheworld.com for his music, for his books, and for his other activities. Wisdomoftheworld.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back shortly. Hello and welcome back. It's such a joy to share with you. And we've been asking ourselves really provocative questions with my guest, Gary Malkin. His website is wisdomoftheworld.com. And we've been asking ourselves questions about being sensitive, being present, being there for the moment, showing up for yourself. And then what happens when you're asked to show up for the end of life? How do you envisage that? How is that for you? How is that for the people around you? And these are profound questions to ask. They're worth asking right now. Often we want to put them off till some undefined later, but the undefined later can be now. And when we do that, we often find they're not nearly as scary as they seem. I suspect too, Gary, this has really changed the way you perceive and feel about death itself. Oh my God, absolutely. I've had the privilege of being a steward to my older sister who died 12 years ago. And, and I she was... She had, my house during the 14 months of her dealing with brain cancer and my father and others and my mom's 99 and she goes through she really says she's ready to go but then she gets afraid and so I, I actually have been playing her the tracks for graceful passages to help her because no matter you know you never know no matter what you think you never know how you're going to show up right one of the things that I that I really love is in a way coming into deep relaxation and coherence through the power of music for example allowing yourself to surrender to the radical present moment, the wilderness of the present moment. I, I want to play this two-minute track, which is a, a metaphor for what we can do at the beginning of every Zoom.
Zoom call as a way to die into the present moment so that our radical presence shows up with all of who we are. And may I share this piece is sort of like a metaphor for death as a practice for radical heart coherence and connection to what matters most and who you really are and what you're here for, you know, your purpose. I want to share this. So this is Sarah McCrum, the thought leader who wrote Love Money, Money Love You. Here we go. She and I created these two-minute transformances is what we call them, and they're designed to address the profound fragmentation of attention that has resulted from being overly reliant on our linear rational minds, but also from these serial, endless Zoom calls that all of us are on for eight hours a day. We need tools to actually drop us in that aren't just breathing and meditating, which is wonderful, but an aligned tool that it's almost like the analogy of a primordial fires of our ancient ancestors. When you're around a fire, you don't really want to talk about what happened at the office, you know? (laughs) Suddenly, you don't even really want to talk very much at all around a fire. Well, I call this, this is what I'm thinking of calling my book, The Listening Fire. And just imagine if you began looking at the same images, hearing the same words, and having the music can train you to a slower frequency that suddenly allows your body, your heart, your mind, your soul to come into holistic coherence, to come into that. And it's kind of like a mini death into the present moment. Here it is. You are invited to experience unity. It's time to put aside the differences that divide us. embrace the beauty of each one of us being different, being unique, being ourselves. In the essence of who we truly are, a beautiful array of human beings across the planet. So many different ways of being human. So let us get to know each other. Let's spend time with each other. learn from each other and let's open our hearts to each other and let's find the unity that exists right in the middle of the richness of our diversity. We are human. We are unique. We are one.
Oh, Gary. And what I've, <laughs> you know, what I've noticed is that the silence, normally I'll ask people to be silent after you hear that because the silence is curated. And what you feel is the effects of the listening practice. And suddenly you notice how the beauty of, of harmony has this entraining power that pulls us into a level of presence in the spaciousness and the slowing down that is harder for us to do unassisted. You know, like many people are intimidated by the existential aloneness of just sitting on a Zappu cushion and meditating with all the distracting thoughts, right? Well, I say that these times are more distracting than ever before. And that, you know, it's hotter for the frogs in us that incrementally are being affected. So what's wrong if music was designed as, you know, extraordinary times require extraordinary measures? What if the music has a destiny to fulfill, to actually assist us in counterbalancing the extremely unstable and destabilizing power of, of the noise out there, right? That's what I've devoted my life to is to to explore the destiny that uh, that music has to fulfill us and slowing us down to our wholeness. That's my passion. And that's something that, again, we can do proactively. We can decide to do that. We can choose those tracks. We can play them. And we can then condition our awareness. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. And we'll be back with more with Gary Malkin. And go to his website for his music and his books at wisdomoftheworld.com. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome back. Again, for more on Gary Malkin's music and wisdom, go to his website, wisdomoftheworld.com. Gary, I'd love to get insights into your creative process. So say, for example, you were recording a piece and you came in from a chaotic day. Just say that your whole day had been full of ups and downs and unexpected problems. And now you've arrived with somebody in the studio to create a piece of music. <laughs> How do you get to that stillness and that presence from the chaos of everyday life, thought and events? What comes to mind as a way to explain this or a little, a little bit is the work that I've been doing with Sarah McCrum, this example of what I just shared, which resulted from this astonishing revelation, which is I've always spent hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours scoring TV and film and commercials with many, many layers of tracks, right? So I never really understood that after all those years of scoring, that if I just sat at the piano, I could use my aesthetic and, and emotional scoring sensitivity through my fingers, right? What I found was as I was less developed spiritually, the noise of self-judgment and inner criticism was so profound that if I just simply sat at the piano and played, I had to get a little bit altered in order to do it. I'd have to like take a little puff of marijuana or I'd have to do something to still to get my thoughts into a more stable place because I was always in this kind of egoic, never enough, never good enough, never good enough. But when I ended up doing it to support wisdom, spoken wisdom, like Sarah McCrum, or I just literally, the moment, or if I was in Grace Cathedral, I've played piano many times for the Labyrinth a yoga class, as well as some performances, and the presence of the sacred would be enough to still my inner critic, right? When I'm scoring spoken word or, or being a part of a whole greater than me, what happens is, I think I've learned that I'm really a true bhakti, 
Dawson, that I, I, it's taken me many years to accept that I always used to be embarrassed about wearing my heart on my sleeve. But the truth is, the core of it is that I truly am a true devotional soul. I love love. I love people. I love connecting. I love the beauty of the exquisiteness of life, right? And if I could get out of the way and literally just be the portal, the sieve, and I'm inspired by the wisdom or the beauty of an environment or somebody speaking, it's really about getting out of the way and letting it come through, right? So I don't know if I've answered your question, but, but th so that's what happens when I'm improvising, right? When I, but in a sense, even when I score a film project, like when I just finished the movie Thrive, the sequel to Thrive, and you can see it all by going to thriveon.com. And like I said to everyone, you might not agree with everything that Foster and Kimberly Gamble have talked about, but I would say it's one of the most profound conversation starters on the planet around how we all might thrive together on this planet. I recommend you all go to thriveon.com. But in the scoring of that, which was very complex, two and a half hours of tracks with hundreds of hundreds of sounds in every cue. Essentially, it's the same principle. It's emptying myself and asking spirit, what emotion do I want to, does this music need to elicit that will enable people to absorb the intention of this moment? If it's a film or words or, or even just what emotion wants to be evoked? And I have some sort of access to the nuances of different shades of sadness and different shades of joy and different shades of gratitude and different shades of excitement. And I just, after a lifetime of playing music, I just ask, what do I want? What, what emotion does wants to be elicited? That's the entry point for me. Well, of course, you need then both spirit and you need your emotional ability to feel those emotions and then you need the technical ability to express those in the form of music. So all of those things are going on at the same time and getting all, all three of those things just right. <laughs> you know, I want to say that if anybody is on this audience listening to and they love playing an instrument, the greatest way to discover and, and uncover the part of you that could be a portal is by slowing down. I mean, it's so simple. It's really that simple. When you can just play one note on a piano and let it ring out all the way to the end and then train yourself to ex not feel awkward about the pregnant pause of just the boring nature of one sound or one chord. It gives us a chance to corral, to coalesce. And in the space, something emerges that comes from your insides that on any level will be better than what you would do if you were rushing through something. That's mm -hmm. what, and that's the case, uh, even if you're curating music for listening, which have you noticed, Dawson, in the old days? Remember when, when we were younger and we actually listened to things without <laughs> looking at anything? The reason why I'm, I'm really like thinking about this whole meme called Welcome to the Listening Revolution is that listening itself is a soul cleansing device and to have to always look that the linear discriminative aspect funnels through the optic nerve so what happens when you simply listen close your eyes minimize the stimulation and allow the magic of listening to heal and change and ground and balance you it's it's like it's such an unheard of thing these days to not have it be an accompaniment to other activity you know it's a radical act to listen so mm. oh I have to ask you this question I was asked this question myself this last week and if you were stranded on a desert island with only one piece of music, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> There's no question for me. There's no question. The most performed choral composer on the planet 
is named Morton Lauridsen, L-A-U-R-I-D-S-E-N. And his body of work is unbelievable, but the piece Lux Eterna that he wrote in honor of his mother who died. He was my teacher at college, and I had the great honor of being invited to be his pianist for his PhD recital in 1971. And I was 18, and I to this day, he's my, Leonard Bernstein was my favorite composer on so many levels, but it was Morton Lauridsen whose work has, I, he would be, Luke Saturno would be the piece I would listen to over and over again, because mm. it's the most beautiful expression of the human facing the sacred, cultivating, you know, pondering the imponderables, the unspeakable truth of our mortality, you know? So again, as you're listening or viewing, just ask yourself that question, which piece of music would you choose and why? How is that important to you? What state is it bringing you into? And that's a state you're, you'd be choosing to bring yourself into over and over and over again. We'll be going to a break right now, but please stay tuned. And for more on Gary's work, go to his website, wisdomoftheworld.com. We'll be right back with more. Hello and welcome back. For more about Gary and his work, go to his website, wisdomoftheworld.com. Gary, this glimpse into your creative process and how you set aside everything else just to really be there, tune into the present. And then, as you say, just slow down. You have one thing to start with, just slow down. And what are the, some of the practices and some of the ways you've found of, of cultivating this in your own life? Well, it goes without saying, but it's important to say because so many people are underestimate the power. Uh, you know, there is such a thing now called nature deficit disorder. And my greatest inspiration and grounding tool is to be in natural surroundings as much as I can. So that's, it's often said and often, but often forgotten. And many people with the, you know, are, are, I get so fragmented, even just being surrounded by nature in some ways on a regular basis is so important. And I would say that this practice of me swimming every morning has changed everything for me. And it has to do with dropping into the cultivation of, you know, the older you get, the more you notice how silly and obsolete these old egoic patterns are that were compensatory strategies from not having what you needed as a child. <laughs> and when you get to be my age, it's like, really? You're still doing that, you know? So one of the things that, one of the phrases that means the most to me that's had a great grounding influence has been, you know, that the only unconditional parent that I'll ever have is inside of me. So I've been cultivating consciously this relationship to my inner child through my higher, higher, my inner father and inner mother. So that's been very powerful um, to like recognize the, the innocence of that little child that did whatever it could to survive. So that's been a very important part of my evolution right now. But I'm not sure in terms of creativity, you know, I love one of my, if not the most fame, favorite mystic slash thought leader that I, that I ascribe to is John O'Donoghue and his work, Beauty, uh, The Invisible Embrace, his, his understanding of uh, beauty. And this is also echoing what uh, Rudolf Steiner 
Meyer talked about with truth, beauty, and goodness. That we're, you know, that we're so nourished by these icons of life, truth, beauty, and goodness. But for me, there's no question. I'll never forget when I was with, I spent an afternoon with Jean Houston one day at her house and she said, who is your guiding archetype? And I went, my guiding archetype? Yeah, well, when I was with Margaret Mead in the 50s and my 20s and she said, you'll never get wherever you want to go if you don't have an embrace, if you have aware of your guiding angel, your guiding archetype. You know? So for me, I knew it was Athena. This is what she said. And I thought and I realized, well, she said, with you, I think you have a male and a female, which is unusual. And I've been told I was a two-spirit by a native elder. But my guiding archetype is Venus, is, you know, is beauty is beauty is my mistress. You know, it's like I, I melt in beauty. Beauty of every sort, visual, audio, vibrational, relational, <laughs> sexual, in every level beauty is so... Coherence is beauty, right? Right. That's my greatest teacher and the thing that I surrender and fall to my knees on every time. Like, and when yeah. you are saying, for example, a lot of people are being very affected by the news, by all the chaos of the world right now. How do you get there when you have all those distractions? Oh, God. I just, I really like being informed. And unfortunately, I've had a bit of an addiction during COVID to looking at what was going on. I'll never forget during the hardest period of the summer of 2020 when Trump and Biden were going at it and COVID was full force. And I had to write the final cue for Thrive, which talked about love triumphing all and that we can do it and that we're all going to thrive. <laughs> and, and I was suddenly being asked to write a music piece of music for the final four minutes of the film that was all about, this is possible, you know? And when I went inside to try to write the music for that, it was like, I felt like there was a cesspool in my heart from exposed to, to all the news and the problems. So I just stopped the news. I started, I started walking every day. I went, I got vegetarian again and I slept an hour every day more and over about 10 days of like refining my energy on every way I could there it was and I to this day if we had more time I'd play this four minute piece I use it on my workshops and my keynotes to say if we can't vibrate at the frequency of the triumph of love and thriving how can we possibly create it right so I I this this energy of this music that, that I'll have to send it to you so you can listen to it is like a practice to vibrate at the heaven on earth vibration. It's like, what if the, what does the music sound like that says, yes, we did it. Love triumphed overall. Oh my God. You know, because we create at the rate that we vibrate at, right? That's uh, what my dear friend, Allison and Gerald Rogers, who are my teachers from legendary mentoring and coaching there. They've been helping me these last two years through all my implicit memory abuses and traumas. They've been helping me enormously. And, and they're telling me you create at the rate with which you vibrate. And this piece of music I listen to now as an entrainment tool to the possibility of love triumphing over overall. I don't think I answered your question, but that's what I was inspired to talk about. <laughs> you did, because you mentioned both inner resources and psychological healing, and also the outer resources you used, getting the extra hour of sleep, taking walks in nature, going vegetarian, doing all the things you need to support your outer body as well. And it's so important to focus on both the inner and the outer and, and do both those things. So uh, and, that's... And, and, and curb the intrusion of the negative media, which is getting more and more and more and more intense. So it's absolutely important to have mental hygiene about what, you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of phrase that Rudolf Steiner talks about or somebody does in the Waldo system. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that was, you have to become a parent and control the amount of exposure you have to this negative content. Yeah, absolutely you do. And I know that when you do make that choice to both be informed, I mean, you can spend time doing that. My, my personal um, formula is about 20 minutes a day. About 20 minutes a day, I'll go read the New York Times, I'll 
read Google News, I'll read some sources, I may read some uh, news sources I wouldn't normally read. And so getting getting information in there, but then that's it. <laughs> that's that's a, as much of a dose as I can handle without getting sucked into it. So you you're kind to yourself and you 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 bring in what you need to to know to be able to have a conversation with other people if you're on the subway, <laughs> but um, not enough to overwhelm you. Gary, I'm so grateful for you, for your work, for your sharing, for your contribution. And I I know that I just get the sense listening to you and sharing with you that this is an ongoing story and there's going to be another whole new chapter that emerges from this. Like I can't yeah. wait to see what that is. But yeah, I'm I mean, so I mean, grateful for sharing. Oh, oh that's it's been wonderful. May I make one little tiny plug? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I love giving keynote speeches. I love, I'm, I'm giving a workshop for Graceful Passages on accepting your mortality as a way to live your life's purpose in November 10th. And we'll be able to information about that in Virginia. But, but I'm really excited about my second season of Ga at Gaia TV, Islands of Inner Peace. And this mm. is at the heart of what I hope to do with you actually is set your wisdom to music, set to music and biophilia infused nature images. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. 13 short films that I'm launching for the second season and that I created to begin with. And you just have to join Gaia, uh, which is about $9 a month or something. But I really am excited about launching these films that I've been working on for the last couple of years. And they're contemplative media experiences for people that have a hard time just sitting and closing their eyes and meditating. They generate a lot of the benefits of meditation. So hope that people check that out if they can. Please do. Again, just surround yourself with both this wisdom and this media and these images and these auditory inputs. They really need to shift your brain and then do that for long enough those neurons wire together they fire together and after a while your brain works very differently i'm so grateful that you spent the last hour sharing with us and i know it'll have a tremendous effect on your life if you are able to flood your consciousness your awareness with positive messages positive thoughts positive media every day thank you for being here till next time nurture yourself and fill your life with love thank you <laughs>